Uh, We're going to be in Romans tonight, and we are in the final chapter of Romans. I can't believe it that we are about to finish the letter. Only two more sermons after this one today, and we are done with the letter to the Roman church. Now, today is a bit unique because it is practically a long list of names. However, I believe that you will find it interesting and beneficial that we take time to go through this text. Now, it's been our practice here. We don't skip any verses. We, we deal with every single verse uh, within the time amount allotted to us. We can't dig as deep as is possible on every verse because we're limited by time. Uh, so we're going to try to dig into this list of names and make practical application for ourselves. The Gospel Center Community Study Guides are coming around right now. These will help you in your groups this week to dig deeper into the sermon text and to be able to facilitate discussion and prayer in your groups. Uh, By the way, if you're not in a group, we have three groups and about to be four groups, and our hope is to have tens, twenties of groups all over the city in the future. Uh, And so please, if you're not in a group, we would highly encourage you to get into a group. Uh, They meet every week in homes throughout the city. Uh, Please come talk to me or one of the elders, Eddie, Pete, or Justin, and we will make sure we get you into a group. Uh, If you're interested in hosting a group in your house, that would be helpful too. Uh, You don't have to lead it if you host it. We could provide leaders, uh, but please come talk to us. Let's figure that out. Uh, And we want you to be in a group, okay? Sunday worship in our opinion, as elders, as Eternal City, is not enough. We're glad you're here. We want you to be here on Sundays, but we also want you to be fellowshipping and uh, communing and caring for one another throughout the week as well. All right, so if someone could start my clock so I don't go three hours, I would appreciate it. I heard that joke last week, by the way, Justin, wherever you are. And he did finish before I did, so it is what it is. All right, so Romans 16, we're going to do it this way. Instead of reading the whole 16 verses, we're going to go through it verse by verse and read the verses and unpack them as we go. So as I said, this is Paul closing the letter, and he's now going to speak to the people he knows in the Roman church. Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church from Corinth, And you can see here, uh, Centria, at the end of verse 1 there, uh, he says, I commend to you our our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria. Centria was the port city in Corinth where you would leave from or uh, imports would come in into this Centria uh, port. And there was a church there in Corinth. Now, what we're going to see as we unpack these 16 verses, there was a lot of house churches in Rome that would compile or comprise the Roman church. There wasn't one church like we have a building here in Wilkinsburg and it's Eternal City Church. Uh, The church at Rome met in a bunch of different locations in different houses. That's much uh, how the the first century church worked. Uh, There wasn't large facilities for people to gather in and most often wealthy Christians would open up their homes. But at that, you could only fit I don't know, 50 people or so into a home, and that was packed in there. Uh, So this is, it's a little different in the first century than it is here uh, in America, in the United States, in the West, where we have large church buildings, some so large they can hold thousands in one worship gathering. Uh, So that's kind of what's going on here. So uh, let's dig into verse one. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant or deaconess, that could actually be translated deaconess, of the church at Centria that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, in the first century, there was not uh, Airbnbs. There was not a lot of hotels. It wasn't like uh, it is here in the West where travel is easy. You could find somewhere to stay pretty simply. So when you were going into a new region of your world that you could travel to, you pretty much needed to know somebody and you needed to be uh, hosted by somebody. That's why hospitality is such a big deal in the New Testament. Well, what would happen is when someone was coming uh, that was not known, they would come with letters of recommendation. And this would be 
similar to what we do when we do background checks on people. If you're renting homes, you're like, who is this person? How do I know they're not going to steal my mom's ring that, you know, was gifted to me? Uh, So this is the deal here. Paul is saying, look, Phoebe, I know her. I know her personally. Not only do I want you to welcome her, but I want you to help her in whatever she may need from you. Why? Because she's helped many people, including me. She's been a great help to me. Now, this word here, a servant, is diakonos in the Greek. It's the word we get deacon from. And my view, and I'm not alone in this view, Phoebe was a deacon of the church at Centria. Uh, Female deacons are a real thing. In fact, if you go to 1 Timothy 3, starting at verse 7 and down, you'll find the qualifications for deacons. And the ESV, I don't like how they translate it, but at least they put a note in there. Uh, The deacons' qualifications, the ESV says uh, their wives, but underneath in a note you'll find could be translated women likewise. I think it's the right rendering of that text. And I have all kind of arguments which I can't make right now because this is not a message on deaconesses. However, I would love to argue that with you or at least explain it to you if you want to hear. But I believe that Phoebe was a deacon at the church at Centria. Now, what would deacons do? Deacons, just like today, do all kinds of jobs. Okay, we have deacons in this church. In fact, Eugene Features is our, our primo deacon. He's like the top guy. And he is buzzing around every Sunday. If you came here at 3 o'clock or 3.30, you know who'd be buzzing around? Gino. He's doing all kinds of stuff. He's carrying chairs. He's setting up the coffee table. He's making sure people are doing their jobs. He's taking signs out front. He's regulating the children that are here. He's cooking pizza. He's doing it all. He's a, he's a boss. He's a deacon. Okay, We have another deacon named Josh who is... Uh, delivering a baby right now. Uh, hopefully not him, but hope they're not doing that home birth thing and there's no nurses and doctors there. I didn't get that clarification. Anyway, Josh is a deacon as well. And uh, we are open, friends, to any member of Eternal City Church becoming a deacon because we have many jobs that need done and we would love to assign you an official office in the church. There's two offices in the church in the New Testament, elder and deacon. Elders are pastors, elders are overseers, Elders are uh, shepherds. That's what they do. And deacons are servants of what? In any capacity needed. Okay? Deacons can serve in any way that the church needs them to serve. You can think of it like this. Not original to me, but this is a helpful way to think about it. Pastors serve by leading or elders serve by leading. Deacons lead by serving. And that's how it works. And they are an example to the members of the church, both elders and deacons. So here, Phoebe is a deacon. She's a servant. And what's she doing here? Well, she's probably delivering the letter, the original autograph from the Apostle Paul's writer to the Roman church. Man, is that a big deal. Now, us 2,000 years removed, friends, if we could find this original penned autograph from the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. Do you know how many billions of dollars that would be worth? With a B. Priceless. However, it's gone. It's disintegrated. Now, we do have manuscript copies very close to the original writing, but this is a big deal that she would be traveling from Centria, where Paul is. He's in Corinth, writing to the church at Rome. She's going to leave this port city. She's going to travel to Italy, and she's going to probably deliver this letter. Man, that's a big deal. And he says, I want you to welcome her and give her whatever she needs, because she has helped many as a deacon, and she has helped me personally. And so here's your letter of recommendation, Phoebe, from the Apostle Paul. Okay, Romans 16, 3 through 5a. Greet Prisca and Aquila. That could actually be Priscilla and and Aquila. Uh, Prisca and, uh, and Priscilla is the same name. It's like James and Jim or Edwin and Ed, right, Edwin? Yeah. My fellow workers in Jesus Christ. Okay, now here, these two, uh, well, let me read the rest, and and I want to unpack their story. Uh, Fellow workers in Jesus Christ who risked their necks for my lives. 
for my life. They put their life on the line for the Apostle Paul, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well for them. Greet also the church in their house. So they have, a, they have a church meeting in their house. It was almost like what we do with gospel center communities. You open up your home, the church comes in a small scattered form and meets in the home. Well, Priscilla and Aquila open up their house so one of the house churches of Rome could meet in their house. Now, who are these two? These are actually prominent. This is a prominent ministry couple in the church uh, known throughout the first century church. Did you know that? So let's look quickly at Acts, um, and I want to show you, wait, where are we at? Maybe I skipped it and just have it in my notes here. It looks like that's the case. That's all right. I'll read it to you. So Priscilla and Aquila first show up in Acts 18, 1 to 4. You could write that in your notes, and here it is. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. Now, here's Pontus up here. So if just, just to get your bearings, here's Rome. Here's Jerusalem down here. Here is Pontus right there. There's Galatia, and here's Ephesus. This would be like Asia Minor, okay? So there's Pontus up there on the top right of our map. And that's where uh, Aquila is from. And so here it is. He is a native to Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius, that's the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. When he went to see him, this would be uh, Paul, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So this is in Acts 18, Paul arriving at the city of Corinth. Let's go back to our map here. Here's Corinth, right here, right by uh, Greece. And, and it is a prominent Greek-cultured city. And so Paul makes his way to Corinth, and he meets this ministry couple. And it just so happens they're of the same trade. Now, you, back in the first century, you would get leather from goats and cows and various animals, and you would cut patterns with, with sharp shears, and then you would sew them by hand, and you would create tents. That's what these three did together. Literally, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila went into business together, and they were making tents. So Paul was a bivocational pastor. That's what we call them today. It's a pastor who has a job, and he also preaches and makes disciples and shepherds a flock. Okay, this was Paul. And he has this ministry couple. So imagine this, okay? How many of you work with coworkers that you actually get to talk? You're allowed to talk while you work. Okay. Most jobs will allow you to at least converse a little bit unless you work in a sweatshop. And imagine, now just imagine Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and the theological discussions they're having while making tents. So, man, they are in the school of probably the most famous apostle to ever live, certainly the most published apostle to ever live, 13 letters of the New Testament. And here they are, in a sense, being discipled and mentored by the apostle himself. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And so if we were to jump down to verse 9 of Acts 18, here's what it says. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. This is after trouble had entered Corinth because of Paul's ministry. God shows up. Jesus shows up in a vision. Don't be afraid, Paul. Keep speaking. Keep preaching. Keep sharing the gospel. Why? For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. I love that. And I imagine God says that to us. Every time I read that, I'm like, eternal city, don't be afraid. Keep preaching the gospel because I got many people in Pittsburgh who need to hear the gospel and they're going to believe because I have chosen them before the foundation of the world. And they need to hear your sharing of the good news. And so keep on preaching, sharing the good news, telling of Jesus and he stayed a year and six months, 
teaching the word of God among them. A year and six months. It's 18 months he spent in Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila. Think about that. Man, you don't need a seminary degree if you got Paul with you every day, making tents. Throw seminary out the door. Just keep your money. You got Paul. So imagine, imagine the theological depth that this couple had. And then it's interesting, if you were to continue traveling into Acts 19, uh, Paul ends up going to um, Ephesus, and Priscilla and Aquila stay there, and then they meet a man named Apollos, who was mighty in the scriptures, yet he didn't have it quite right with Jesus. And so as he's preaching and doing apologetics, confounding the Jews, showing the Jews that Jesus is the Christ, they pull him aside and together actually instruct him further in the truth and give him a deeper understanding of the scriptures. How did they do that? (laughs) They were schooled by Paul. I mean, it's amazing. So anyway, I, I love the book of Acts. I hope to go through the book of Acts someday with you all. Uh, but that's Priscilla and Aquila from the book of Acts. Now, what probably happened is because they were in Rome, you remember they had to leave Rome because Claudius expelled all the Jews. Get out of Rome. You're not allowed to be here. So they went to Corinth, which is where they met Paul. So now they're back in Rome, right? Because this is the letter to the Roman church. And he says, the church that meets in their house. So they're hosting one of the gatherings for the Roman church. This is a great ministry couple here. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus Christ, who risked their necks for my lives. Now, now we don't know when this happened. Uh, some commentators think maybe when he got stoned. You remember that? He, he, he was crushed by rocks and they were with him. Perhaps they pulled him out and bandaged him, got him to the ER. We don't know. But they put their lives on the line for the sake of the apostle Paul. He says, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles. Man, that's a lot of churches. So this couple, this ministry couple, was very well known to the Gentile churches. Greed also the church in their house. All right, let's move on. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert in Greek, its first fruit, to Christ in Asia. All right, so this this brother was the first believer in Asia, probably Ephesus, because this is Asia Minor. Ephesus is now Turkey. So if you're thinking, where is this in today's geography? Turkey is Ephesus. And then if you were to go further east, you would make it to Colossae, uh, the church of Colossae. We get the letter to the Colossian church. Epaphras was the church planter there, probably converted by Paul or Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, during their their ministry there. And so this was the first guy to believe when the gospel was preached in Ephesus. And now he's in Rome. You see, there was a lot of traveling going on in the first century in terms of missions. And Justin, I, I don't know if he hit on this hard last week, but friends, we often read this person sailed here and they went here. Do you know how expensive travel was in the first century? Oh my goodness. Like the amount of money that had to fund these missionary efforts is amazing for me to think about. Much, much less expensive for us to travel over to Africa on a plane than it was to take a ship and like have food for months and then figure out where you're going to sleep and all this stuff. My point is the church has always been funding the mission of God. Always. And, and that's part of why God gives us the income he does. Not that we would spend it all on the work of expanding his kingdom and making disciples and preaching the gospel, but that we would fund the mission of God, okay? Remember, all the money's his, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all the people in it. So it's not like what you got in your pocket or your you know, stock account or your uh, investment funds. It's not like they're not yours, They're yours, but they're on loan from God. They're ultimately his. And what he asks us to do, he's like, look, I'm about spreading my glory, my fame. I want obedient disciples. I want baptized disciples. I want worshipers on every continent. How's that going to get done? By us fulfilling the Great Commission. We go and we make disciples of all nations. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We teach them to obey 
all that I've commanded. How does that take place? Listen, through local churches. Through local churches. The book of Acts is literally a church planting, local church type of book. And often we forget that every letter in the New Testament called Romans or Colossians, or those are all letters to churches. The church is so central to the mission of God, we can often miss it when we're reading our Bibles. Okay, so it's good to be connected and deeply rooted in a local church. Okay, the New Testament actually knows nothing about scattered Christians not connected to anybody. In fact, that's what Aunt Diane read earlier. Everyone, a part of the body, individually members of it. The, the Bible, New Testament, knows nothing of non-connected to a church Christians, by the way. I know that people like to say, I don't need a church to worship God. Well, the New Testament says you do. You verse the word of God. I think the word wins. Hey, I love you. I'm just saying, this. a lot of people argue for their autonomy when it comes to the church and being connected to a body, and it's just unbiblical. We could talk about that. I'd love to. Let's do that sometime. Anyway, so this brother was in Asia, and now he's in Rome, probably for ministry purposes. Okay, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Now, we know nothing about Mary. All we know is that she worked hard in the church of Rome. Now, what you're going to notice in this list is a lot of women workers. Okay, A lot of people like to say, oh, wh where's the women in the New Testament? Well, just read it. You obviously are not reading it because they're everywhere, right? Priscilla, Phoebe, Mary. I mean, they're, they're, they're all over the place. The first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus was who? Women. They're the first testimony of the risen Christ. They saw the empty tomb first. Mary first met Jesus. I mean, anyway, I could go on and on about that. So greet Mary who has worked hard for you. We know that she was a worker for the church at Rome, working for Jesus. Number seven, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Now, this is interesting. Um, this brother and his wife, probably, were Jewish, that's what it means by kinsmen, and at some point they were either in prison with Paul or Paul is saying, as I was in prison for the sake of the gospel, which you just read the book of Acts and read the letters, uh, Paul was imprisoned a lot. These two were probably imprisoned as well, either with Paul or for the sake of the gospel. And so he calls them my fellow prisoners, suffering for the sake of the gospel. And then he says, they are well known to the apostles. That would be the twelve like Matthew and John and Simon, known to the apostles. Like you bring up Andronicus, they're like, I know that dude. He's been in prison for Jesus. He's serious about the gospel, that guy. And then he says, these two, Junia and Andronicus, sorry, Junius and Andronicus, were in Christ before me. He says, they were Christians before I was. They were believers before I was even a part of the church. Now, here's something I want to point out here. All these names, friend, like, like think of Mary. We know nothing about her other than she worked hard for Jesus. Uh, Andronicus and Junia. Okay, they were in prison for Christ. They're well known to the apostles. They're in Christ. Think about this. All these names are literally immortalized in Scripture. Like, the word of God will never fade. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Like you're going to meet this Mary someday. Be like, oh, you're the Mary of Romans 16. You worked hard for the Roman church. Like, yeah, that's me. That's my claim to fame right there. <laughs> Romans 16, baby. I was verse six. <laughs> it's like mic drop. <laughs> Wearing the t-shirt, Romans 16, six. <laughs> I love it. But seriously, like God, God immortalized these people who were real people, real people in the church at Rome, gospel workers whom Paul knew. And he said, look, greet these people. These are important people to me. 
And then in verse 8, greet Man, I'm sorry of these Greek names. Empletus, my beloved in the Lord. So Paul loves this person. That's all we know. Paul, Paul loves. <laughs> Our fellow worker in Christ and beloved Stachys. These are great baby names, by the way. If you're like looking, looking for names, you know, probably not going to make the top 10 of 2022, but they're great names. Right, Priscilla? That's right. Amen. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Now, Aristobulus is actually uh, a somebody. Um, Doug Moo, the commentator, the Roman scholar, says this. uh, Because Aristobulus is not himself mentioned, that he is probably not a believer, but those who belong to his household, who are probably slaves, a lot of slaves in the New Testament, not race-based, Uh, We preached on slavery here many times. I can't get into it right now. But all different levels of ethnicities and for all kinds of different reasons, like being in debt or being captured in war, uh, don't think American race-based slavery, not that in the New Testament. Um, Probably slaves in his house. And here's what Doug Moo actually says. He says, he may be dead since there is some reason to identify this Aristobulus with the brother of King Herod Agrippa. And this Aristobulus died in 48 or 49, which would be consistent with the writing of this letter. And so those in his family, the, the, the household, were believers, but not him himself. And this, this man may have been the brother of King Herod Agrippa. Maybe. We don't know for sure, but it's likely. All right. Romans 16, 11. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. All right. Doug Moo also has something helpful here from this brother. He says, um, the identification of Aristobulus with the Herodian family, because he follows this, this name, gains some strength from the fact that Paul next greets a man who was apparently a freedman and a Jew in the service of the Herods. Remember, the Herods were the kings, the, the propped up kings who ruled Judea. Uh, this, at least, is the only likely explanation of the name Herodian, which is otherwise unattested in Rome. Now, Doug Moo is a fantastic scholar. He's like a top-notch Roman scholar. He would have looked throughout all the names and found, and he's like, look, there is no other explanation for this name in Rome other than this is who this brother was um, in service of one of the Herods, one of the Herod's slaves. He says, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of narcissist, not narcissist, but narcissus. Like, don't name your kid that, or they're going to get hammered in school when they hit junior high. Uh, Doug Moo again. I, I, I've been helped by Doug on these last couple names. Uh, he says, this brother is the name of a well-known freedman, a freed slave, who served the emperor Claudius and who, who committed suicide just before Paul wrote Romans. And so, look, it's the family of, not him. Right? So in other words, household slaves, household families who believed. But this guy is a well-known person to those in the church at Rome. All right, we're moving fast for a reason, because I need some time at the end. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophina and Tryphosa, probably sisters, female names. Um, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. So Paul knows these people. And he knows that they're all either workers or well-known to the church at Rome here. And then, uh, let, me, let me stop for a second. The, these actually are three gospel women right here. These are three female names. And, and to kind of like give a little bit more weight to what I said earlier about women being all over the New Testament, look at this in, uh, You know what? I don't have it in here. I have it in my notes, though. So in Philippians 4, 2 and 3, let me read you this. Listen. He says, I entreat Eodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There was some kind of dispute between these two ladies. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. We don't know who the true companion is, but a friend of Paul. I ask you, true companion, companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me. And so these two ladies were at Philippi, 
And they had worked hard with Paul when he went to Philippi. And for some reason, there's some kind of dispute between them. Now, this never happens in churches in today, right? No one ever gets into disputes. No one ever needs a mediator. No one ever needs to get in the middle of a fight. So Paul's like, look, my true companion, it's probably Luke. We did go through Philippians. It's in the archives. If you want to listen to that series, go back and listen. It's probably Luke, the one who wrote Luke and Acts, most likely. It's my view. And he's like, help these women. In my view, actually, I think it was so deep that these two women were prominent in the church and they were beginning to develop camps and the camps were starting to war and a potential church split was almost about to happen. It's my view. Okay, we don't know that. It's kind of reading underneath the text. But Paul's like, we got to squash this. Okay? But the point I'm bringing out here is fellow workers, side by side. I'm here preaching, disciple, and working. Boom, there she is. I'm preaching, working to... Boom, here she is. Women were very prominent in the New Testament church. Okay? So don't buy the lie that like women are absent from the ministry in the New Testament. It's just, it's not true. So Romans 16, 13, we know who this guy is. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Now in the crucifixion story, Acts, I'm sorry, Mark 15 shows up this man's name. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So you remember the story, Jesus can't carry the cross, it's so heavy he falls. And so they grab this guy, Simon of Cyrene, which by the way is in Northern Africa, and they grab him and they're like, you carry the cross. How many of you saw the Mel Gibson movie? Man, brilliant gospel moment here. Because he's like, hey, just remember, he's guilty, not me. Great exchange. The truth is he was guilty and Jesus was not, but he was taking his place. I don't think Mel Gibson meant to do that, but man, brilliant gospel moment right there. And so Simon takes the cross. Now, listen, there is no reason for this little comment here by Mark other than the people who were receiving this letter of Mark, probably Roman, the Romans. It was written by Peter through Mark. Mark got most of his source material from Peter. We just, we finished Mark last year. You want to go back and listen to Mark? Go ahead. But look, he says, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Like, you know Alexander. You know Rufus. Check in with them. They'll tell you the story's true. And he's kind of like calling upon his listeners, because they know who these two men are. They're well known to the church at Rome and to the Gentile churches. And so here, Paul's like, hey, greet Rufus. He's at the church at Rome, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother. So Simon's wife. She's been a mother to me as well. Now we don't know anything about that other than she mothered Paul. She took care of him at one point as if he was one of her sons. It's pretty amazing. Okay, so here's Simon of Cyrene's wife, and here's Rufus, his son. Greet him. He's at Rome. Greet Aristarchus. Pete, help me. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Asyncritus, I don't know. Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes again, and the brothers or brothers and sisters who are with them. Now listen, we know nothing about these people except that they got people. <laughs> meaning, meaning they probably were a part of a church, uh, another house church. Meaning like, I know these guys, but I don't know their guys. And so greet everybody connected to them in their church, in their little house church, in their little gospel-centered community, if you want to think about it like that. And so Paul here is just naming the people he knows. But listen, remember from last week, what is Paul intending to do at the end of Romans 15? I intend to come and visit you on my way to Spain and be helped by you. Meaning, I want you to fund my missionary efforts to Spain because I have no more room to work in these regions, which I just find an astounding statement. You're talking about the entire Mediterranean world and Paul's like, I'm feeling a little cramped. I got no more room to work in these regions. And I'm like, bro, Pittsburgh's a huge city. And like, you're talking about an area the size of the United States. You're feeling cramped, bro? 
Here's what he means though. Paul's mission was to plant churches where no churches existed. And so for Paul, okay, I've gospeled the entire Mediterranean world. Spain is the furthest west I know of, and that's where I'm going to keep the mission going. And so he wants to come to Rome on his way to Spain, which is basically west of Rome, and I'm going to collect some money from you so that you can send me on my way to continue my church planting efforts. And so in a sense, here's what Paul's doing. He's gaining credibility with the Roman church. If he didn't already with the first 15 chapters, I'm going to gain some more personally because I got all these people I know and I'm greeting them by name and I'm telling them, hey, you greet your people for me. So when I get there, I get a warm greeting and welcome and some help. Okay, that's probably practically what's going on here. But in addition, Paul actually loved people. He loved people. And, and more on that in just a second. Greet Philologus. That sounds like a hippopotamus to me, but who am I to judge? Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who were with them. Again, probably another gospel Center community, or another house church. And then lastly, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Holy kiss was a normal practice back then. You know, think of Italians, like an old Italian grandma. You know, they come up, they kiss you. They go, oh, so good to see you. It's been a long time. That, that's the flavor. A holy kiss means non-romantic, nothing sexual about it. Okay, this is a holy greeting. For us, we, give me a bear hug. That, that's kind of, that's the greeting, but it's, it's different in the first century. It's we greet each other with a holy kiss, okay? And so he's saying, Greet everyone with this holy kiss because uh, I love them and I want uh, all the churches to know that they are also greeting you. Paul is, in a sense, unifying all the churches because we are actually all one church. You know that? So there's the capital C church, which is universal. The Christians in North Korea and China are actually the church just as much as the Pittsburgh churches are, the real ones who believe the gospel, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are in Christ, capital C church. Local churches are small C church. We are the outpost here in Wilkinsburg. And there's another outpost over in Penn Hills and over in Plum and over in Garfield and over in all over Pittsburgh, right? Tons of little gospel outposts, small, small C church. And Paul here is saying, all the churches of Christ, all the ecclesia is the Greek word. And literally it means assembly or gathering of people. So Christians are those called out of the world and they're assembled together. And that's called the church. Ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on how you pronounce it. Now, what I want to say here is the church, with my last nine minutes, the church has always been made up of people. People are the church. Yes, there is legalness to a church. There's 501c3 and there's tax exemption and there's buildings and there's, there's budgets and there's you know, websites and there's all that. But man, that, that is not by far the church. You could have all that stuff and no people and guess what you don't have? A church. Because the church, by definition, is the people of God gathered together. Why? For the worship of the living God. That's what we're doing here, friends. We gather on the Lord's Day, Sunday, to worship the living God. The Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. And secondly... We get together, yes, to learn, yes, to hear God speak through his word, yes, to fellowship, yes, to remember the Lord's death until he comes by taking communion, yes, to drink coffee and all that stuff. But friends, primarily we're here to worship. That's what we're doing here. That's why we call this a worship gathering. We're gathering to worship. That's what we're doing here. And so this is what God wants all people to do. 
This is what John 4, 24 says. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In fact, God is seeking such to worship him. God is out in the world right now, believe it or not, through Christians, gathering a people for a purpose that they would be worshipers. Just as we are worshipers. We are aligning our lives with the scriptures, which gives God glory, which yes, in a non-worship gathering way, is worship. When you say no to temptation, which is sin, and yes to Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what just happened? Worship, glory, you won. You know what happens when you give in to temptation? Sin. You know what you do next? Oh God, please forgive me. I have fallen again. I have failed again. And you know what the gospel promises? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. Friends, that is worship. Confessing that we are wrong, confessing our need for Christ, and God comes in and he forgives us and cleanses us. That is also worship. Now, the people of God have always been the church. It's no exception in 2022. Just like you saw this list of names, they were the church at Rome. Friends, all these names gathered around you are lives that are in the image of God and eternal lives. And we gathered are the church, the small C church called Eternal City Church. And the church is the people. The most important thing in this church is the people. Always. Now, do you know what's the most frustrating, troubling, contentious thing in the church? The people! <laughs> of course. Right? That's why, you're, that's why you're upset all the time. That's why I'm doing counseling all the time. It, this is the deal. So here, here's the deal. When we read the New Testament, we often read it with this kind of like idealized, you know, silver lining, golden foil, kind of like Acts 2. We, we read this as the description of the early church. Let me read it to you. This is right after Pentecost. This is the Jerusalem church, newly birthed, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Fantastic. They were listening to sermons from the apostles. They were getting together in homes. They were doing communion, breaking bread, and they're praying together. Awesome. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. And what we do, th this really happened in Jerusalem until Acts chapter seven and a great persecution broke out. You remember that? S Stephen got stoned and he died and all of a sudden a great persecution against the church. You know what happened? Scattered. This church split literally into hundreds and hundreds of different little churches just a few chapters later. So what we can often do is we, we look at this, and yes, that's beautiful. Like, let's do this. However, you realize this is not the way it was in every church in the New Testament. I mean, just read the book of Corinthians, and you'll be like, oh, man, guy's sleeping with his mother-in-law, and that's all right with everybody? That's no, that's no bueno, man. That's no good. We can't be doing that. So here is something I want to open up for you all with my last three minutes, okay? This is Paul speaking to the elders or the pastors of the church at Ephesus, and he's never gonna see them again because it's been prophesied that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's gonna be bound, he's gonna be thrown in prison, he's gonna be persecuted, and they know this. And so he gathers the elders and he's saying to them this. Now listen, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. Pay careful attention to yourself and the people in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
Hey, pastors, you were to oversee this flock of God, this little flock here in Ephesus. Care for the church of God. Now watch this. Ready? Which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. Friends, did he purchase a 501c3? Did he purchase a website? Did, no, he purchased a people with his own blood. What does that mean about us, friends? That we are important to God. Such that in order to obtain us, he had to pay for our sin or we couldn't be gathered to him. And the payment for sin was blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, let me make application. We who are the church, the people of God, bought with the blood of Christ, precious to God, precious to Christ. Friends, are your fellow church members precious to you? That's the question. Or is it like, I can't stand them and I can't wait to get out of there on Sunday night. Gospel Center community, you think I want to spend time with them? Friends, if that's your attitude, you know nothing of biblical Christianity, and we need to do some, some counseling, some talking, some discipleship. Because friends, the people who are connected to your church, yeah, you might not choose them as your best friends. You're like, I didn't choose these people to be my church. Well, God chose these people to be your church. And I get it. Like, you're like, I could go to the church down the street. Yeah, you can. But that's why we ask you to commit to membership so that you can't just bounce out. That's why we ask you to commit. It's like, I'm committing to these people to love and serve. And guess what? Hash out differences. Forgive one another. Back off of my easily offendedness. Right? Because you know what people do? People sin. Christian sin. And you know what the church is made up of? Sinning Christians. So friends, here's my plea. If you're offended tonight by one of your brothers and sisters, you know what you need to do? Matthew 18 says clearly, you need to go to them privately, tell them your offense, hash it out, and if they've repented about the offense, you've won your brother. If not, you take two other witnesses who could, who could get in on that, and if there's repentance, great reconciliation. If not, you tell the elders of the church and then they have to get involved. And then if it still doesn't go well, then further actions have to be taken. We don't want that to happen, but we know what to do. And so here's the question for you. If you're offended tonight and you're looking at the back of someone's head, I know you front row people, this doesn't apply. Sorry. You're looking at the back of someone's head or look at the back of my head. If I've offended you today, all right? You go to the person privately with grace, humility, and this thing better be bathed in prayer. And you tell them your offense. And if the Holy Spirit is with you and he has been working on their heart, there will be repentance. And if there's hard-heartedness, the process does have to happen and it can go bad and it does go bad. But friends, we shouldn't be, oh my gosh, when problems happen in the church because people are sinners and people are going to sin. You know what sinners are going to do? Sin. But we know what to do when that happens. We forgive one another. If we are the, the sinner, then we confess. And we, forget, we get the forgiveness of Jesus. Now listen, I've been a pastor now for eight years, and I was on a team of pastors for five before that. I understand there are hard, hard, hard relationships and hard, hard, hard situations where it seems like it's impossible to kind of break out of. I get that. Okay? And what do we do? Romans 13 or 12, I can't remember, says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. You can only do what you can do. You cannot make people do the right thing, but you can take responsibility for you, right? And if the other person is not reciprocating, that's on them and it's not on you. If you're with open arms saying, come on, let's make up, and they're just like stiff arm, that's on them and not you. But you can't be the one stiff arming. Okay, I'm over time. 
Justin, I love you if you're watching online. I know you're laughing right now. I know it. Paul says, I know, in verse 29, remember Paul's talking here. This is the Apostle Paul, same one that wrote, wrote to the church at Rome. He's talking to the Ephesus elders. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. In other words, there's going to be people who are like wolves internally, and their only desire is to devour people. Take advantage of them. Use them. Divide them. There are people like that. And yes, they make their way into churches. And the elders, in part, that's part of their job is to find out who's the wolf. Slowly, never with an ax and a shotgun on first, you know, assumption. Kind of looks like a wolf, you know. And from among your own selves, Listen to that. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Why? To draw away disciples after them. They want to steal the true people of God unto themselves. And he's like, be careful. I'm warning you. I'm prophesying here. And he says, therefore, be alert. Like, pay attention. Be alert. Remembering that for three years, Paul was in Ephesus for three years doing ministry. For three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Now that, that phrase there, word of his grace, that's the gospel. I commend you to God and the gospel. How do you know it's the gospel? Which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among the, all those who are sanctified. Uh, we only get the inheritance of eternal life through the good news which is the power of God unto salvation. All right, I'm done, but here's what I wanted to point out here. Paul says that the church of God was purchased by the blood of Christ. Therefore, it is precious to Jesus. And for some of us, we don't think of the church, and by that I mean the people, as precious. We need to start. Okay? We, we need to rethink the church. If we're only consumers and we're just in it for what we can get out of it, and it's like, well, you're not giving me what I need. Friends, we are to be loving and serving and treasuring one another. Everyone an eternal life, precious to God, whom he has given his very blood for. Now, I know that's hard. I know that's hard. Uh, many of you did not choose your own brothers and sisters, right? No one did, by the way. <laughs> They were gifted to you by God. And yet, how many squabbles have brothers and sisters had? Right? I mean, you, you probably bloodied one of your siblings up at one time where they've bloodied you up. And they're still your brothers and sisters. That's kind of the way it is with the church. I mean, we, we draw blood sometimes. And we got to forgive as far as it depends on you.